Protein Venture. Welcome to Go Team Venture. I am your host, Justin Blomquist, and with me always is my co-host, Deanna Beaton. This, of course, is the podcast where once a week we go through another episode of The Venture Brothers. I'm a longtime fan, but Deanna is seeing each episode for the first time as we go week to week. This week we're discussing Love Bites, written by Jackson Public. Deanna, can you give us kind of a TV guides? Here's what's happening this week on The Venture Brothers. Um, so the Venture Gang crash lands. Well, I think they crash landed. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, they were forced like, to crash, yeah. Yeah, they were forced to crash land. It's like they were there, so they didn't have to, but yeah. So they were forced to crash land at Baron Underbite's lair mansion land. His, his, his I don't country, know. His country. country. Underland. And so they get taken prisoner. But then Dean gets kept as Baron's little slave, sex slave, spouse slave person. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the gang thinks they're getting rescued by, I don't even know who these other people are. I mean, I know that we've met them, but I don't know who they are in relation to this location. We'll we'll get into it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, they get rescued but the people rescuing them think they're that are rescue the people. Yeah. I said, it's great. The IMDb synopsis is similar. It says Baron Underbite returns as the Venture Brothers jet crashes in Underland. The Baron seeks revenge on Dr. Venture and attempts to marry Dean, who is dressed in a Princess Leia slave girl costume when they are captured. Indeed. And yeah, that's basically how the episode begins. They have an establishing shot showing Underland, and then we see the X-1 flying over it. We cut to inside the X-1 where Rusty is uh, saying that they were robbed of winning their best group costume at whatever party they were just at. We see Dean dressed as Slave Leia and saying that, of course, the Impossible family won. They did a really convincing Fantastic Four. (laughs) (laughs) And then we... That's a pretty good joke. Pan and see Rusty dressed as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, He tells Dean to stop making excuses for his brother because Hank is the reason they didn't win best group costume. We then see Hank dressed in his Batman costume once again, which we saw previously in uh, the last episode as his best outfit. He does love it. Committed. Uh, Looking at himself in the reflection of the glass and he's, you know, I am the bat kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) To which the Rusty's like, oh yes, of course. The reason why we didn't win costume again is because you were dressed as the bat. Last year it was Dorothy, the scarecrow, the cowardly lion, and the bat. Or when we were Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Freely, and the bat. My favorite part of, I don't know, this is just that even by doing a good impersonation of Batman by just staring at his reflection and saying, I am the bat. <laughs> by doing a good impression it is also its own parody and that is very meta and mind-blowing it is both an accurate representation and a sick burn on the batman simultaneously yeah because he's just so into himself (laughs) Um, he's always got a stupid voice yeah uh, rusty of course tries to then uh guilt hank even more saying how brock spent a month putting his costume together, sewing it each day. Uh, we then see Brock is dressed as Chewbacca, minus the Chewbacca head. It's just Brock's face on his big Chewbacca body. And yeah. he's got a, a blue ribbon on his uh, chest. And Hank's like, well, of course, it's Brock spent so much time in his costume. That's why he won best costume. 
Rusty's like, oh, is Hank back? I thought I was talking to the bat. <laughs> and then I just made a note that uh, I, uh, with my Dr. Frankenfurter costume, have won best costume, I think, on four different occasions. Uh, have you ever... is so good. Well, thank you. I, I put a lot of effort into it. <laughs> have you ever won uh, best costume anywhere at Deanna? And what was your costume? I don't think that I've ever won best costume. I am not good at making exactly identical costumes to the thing. I always like to just use whatever I have. And so my look always ends up being very like Holly Hobby, Modge Podge, to quote RuPaul as a sick burn against um, one of the contestants on Drag Race. But to which I say a thank you. Yeah, I like the, I like the homemade look. No, I don't I, like to look exactly. I like to look like me doing that thing. I agree. And then there are those people who do get way too into cosplay as well. And I, I admire some of the craftsmanship, but I don't like the idea of cosplay where it's like, hey, man, that's a really cool costume. I am Omegatron. You will address me as Omegatron. Okay, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I'm not... Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't sign up for cosplay things or go to cosplay things if I wanted to act like I was a character in whatever role you're playing or whatever. I guess I would do that, but I, I don't want to do that. I do improv and I do act, but uh, yeah. yeah, not just because someone else is wearing a costume. Yeah. Um, I, again, I, I admire the work that goes into cosplay. I don't necessarily like what they do. Sorry, those of you who like cosplay. Yeah, you do you. We're not doing you. We're doing us. Uh, but uh, have you ever done a group costume was my next question. I have not done a group costume. And I'm always so jealous of those uh, groups that are able to, like, get their shit together. Yeah, to I'd pull it off. The one time, I guess there were two times where I did it. One was I was working in an office and we went as the Scooby-Doo gang. We just didn't have... Fred we had a Daphne we had a Velma I was Shaggy and then one of the girls had like a little stuffed Scooby-Doo doll but we couldn't find a third a fourth to be Fred Mm -hmm. yeah I I have so many like well not so many other I have some friends who they used to always do group costumes and I remember like one time they all went as different Tetris pieces that they and they all like fit together and stuff but yeah no and then I was to say one year uh when my brother and I were working at like these uh sister store cafes Basically, my brother and I were working in the same cafe that night, and we were there dressed as Hank and Dean. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he, he had on like a white long sleeve shirt with a blue handkerchief. He didn't color his hair blonde, which I was, was like, come on. The hair is the thing. I the know. hair is the thing that always is my first like key go-to whenever I decide what Halloween costume I want to do. It's based on, because I hate wigs, Um so whatever my hairstyle is at the time of that year's Halloween, I will figure out a costume around that hairstyle because that's what sells it. But yeah. I did buy a wig to go as homecoming Beyonce, um, and I don't regret it at all. I've seen that picture. That looks great. <laughs> <laughs> it is a magical moment, but it is a cheap-ass wig from Amazon, so it's, it doesn't, doesn't make me feel like Beyonce makes me feel more like Beyonce, but it is, it is not a Beyonce quality wig. Uh, well, we should get back to the episode. So uh, <laughs> while Rusty kind of rasses Hank like, oh, Hank's back. I thought I was talking to the bat. Hank starts saying something under his breath as if he's still Batman. He's like something about his, the recirculated air in his chest. I never heard the line before. He's like, 
by the recirculated air in my chest, I will. And then someone cuts him off. Yeah, I heard mumbling. I didn't know what he said either. Oh, I guess he cuts himself off because he, as he says, he put his tongue in the slit of his plastic mask and he <laughs> keeps like uh, kind of cutting it. And uh, Dean says, why did not you stop doing it? I says, I can't. It's, it's a compulsion. It's maddening. <laughs> it's maddening. We then cut to inside the castle Underland where Baron's uh, manservant is running down the hallway to hurry and tell Baron that Rusty is in the vicinity of Underland. And then we get another Empire Strikes Back reference here where uh, we see this large canister kind of open. Baron Underbud is facing away from us and he spins around in, uh, in this round chamber that like Darth Vader is sitting in. And uh, he says, you know, oh, quickly to the science works. We then see back in the X-1, Brock is turning the plane. He says, I'm going to avoid flying over Underland. It's, it's going to take us out of the way for like 20 minutes. But hey, you know what? It's better than the dangers of doing this. Rusty is so cheap, though. He says, am I made of experimental supersonic jet fuel? I don't think so. So he orders Brock to continue flying over Underland, even though it's very dangerous. We then see the Baron and his underlings preparing a giant super magnet. I made a note here. Baron has to uh, take off his lower jaw in order to look into this periscope, which I thought yeah. was funny. And he Ooh. makes all of his underlings like turn away so they can't see. Which good. I appreciate. If I were there, I would appreciate that command and I'm like, as well. Baron, you got this whole thing you obviously built. Just build that periscope but- <laughs> so you can keep your jaw on, bruh. Yeah. Of course, right before he uh, has them activate the magnet, uh, one of his guys is like, uh, are you sure that's a good idea considering? And he's like, shut up, do it. Say say hello to goodbye, Dr. Venture, which I thought was a great line. I am glad that you're telling me what he said because I can't understand Baron Underbite. <laughs> I didn't understand any of what was said in this scene. Oh, no. <laughs> say hello good, to goodbye, Dr. Venture. Uh, then they turn on the huge metal magnet. And of course, the first thing that gets attracted to it is his big metal jaw. Of course. And the second thing that it draws in is Helper, as Helper then slams into his face and chest right before we cut to credits. Which that was great. Like he, he get because again, I think Helper is uh, like R two D two sitting up top of the yeah. uh, the X one, and he got pulled out of the plane first. We thought that was a hilarious joke. Uh, we return from credits, and we see that the X one is indeed getting pulled down to the ground. Uh, Brock is saying like, you know, something about the engines are out. And then this is the first time I heard Hank repeating to himself as he's holding his knees to his chest in the fetal position, I'm the bat, I'm the bat, I'm the bat. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch that either. I, 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 first time I heard it, it made me laugh. Rusty says something about why did his feelings hurt? And then Brock is just struggling to keep the plane in the air. Uh, Rusty is saying to lock down auxiliary power. He even says, Chewy, lock down auxiliary power. Another Star Wars reference. Brock says he's trying to get the plane at least to cross the borders of Underland because if he doesn't get out of here, they're in big trouble. He does uh, hit the ground and the plane's slotting across the ground for quite a while. They finally crash through a wall and Brock's like, oh, thank God we're like not in Underland technically. We're, we're out of here safe. Which Rusty then says, why didn't you lock down auxiliary power? We don't have auxiliary power, you jerk. I'm so glad that you keep pointing out all of these Star Wars references because as soon as the cold open started... And they were all dressed like Star Wars characters. I was like, oh, that's right. You said it was the they broke their pact or whatever to make this episode full of Star Wars references. So I think this is before they made that pact. They said that at some point they did this. I want to say probably by like third or fourth season is when they're trying not to do Star Wars references. Oh, okay. They're just going gung-ho right here. This episode is chock full of them. Oh, my God. Which you told me, and then I remembered when I saw them. But then 
I didn't get any other, I don't think, Star Wars references throughout. So I was like, wow, what depth of of references are they making? Or or am I just, I don't have any memory of these movies that I watched all of them, which is six through nine, one through three don't count. Yeah. Or not six through nine, four through Mm-hmm. And even four nine, nine, I don't like that much. <laughs> Which one? The last one. Oh yeah, um, but I have, I yeah. Anyway, so I was like, I I got one reference, and that that's they're wearing Star Wars costumes. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll I'll point them out as we go yeah, along. Yeah, keep keep pointing them out. Uh, so of course, as Brock yells that we don't have auxiliary power, suddenly and without warning, the canopy of their cockpit blasts open, and the entire cockpit is launched in the air like a huge ejector seat. And now the family is indeed 100 yards back into Underland. And as they land, all these guards come up and surround them. Yeah. We're now inside the castle and the family's being guided down a hallway in handcuffs. Uh, Brock says to Rusty, this is going to be dangerous. Uh, and he hands Rusty his OSI field operative suicide tooth, just in case it gets really bad. Which the only reason that I know what that is, is, and here is one of the things that I almost never get the references of, I saw it in a James Bond movie. Which one? Like this, I, I'm trying to remember which one has a suicide tooth. Um, It might have been one of the more recent ones. Like, I think it was a Daniel Craig one. Oh, yeah. Um, What's his face from No Country for Old Men? Um, oh, yeah, you're that right. That guy. There's that whole scene about his jaw. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So that was like the first time... I don't know, anything sort of explained that concept to me? Because I'm sure that I had seen stuff about like... I could think of two other references. Fighting they, and then like swallowing the, and dying. But they but, both, yeah, they both come after this episode. I, I remember in The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is a terrible movie, <laughs> uh, when they're recruiting Sean Connery, he like shoots a guy at long distance and then he like walks up to the guy like, you know, who are you, sir? And the guy like pulls a tooth out and bites down and he's dead. They did the same thing in uh, Captain America, the original Captain America with uh, Chris Evans as a guy he catches uh, in that submarine in the beginning who killed like his German mm-hmm. doctor friend and he pulls a mm-hmm. tooth out and bites into it too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so he gives him his suicide tooth and Rusty just about swallows it immediately. Oh, actually, no, at first uh, Rusty is like cool about it. He's like, no, Baron underbites get that thing against me about his job, but that was never proven that I ever did that. Plus it was like 20 years ago. He barely, he doesn't even remember it. Yeah. And then Brock says, are you sure about that? And he points out like several propaganda posters along the hallway of Rusty's face, either being X'd out or with giant words that say, if you see this man, kill him. <laughs> yeah. So Rusty then tries to swallow the tooth and Brock's like, hang on, hang on. You're going to need to share that with the boys. To which uh, Hank is like, cool, secret super spy suicide tooth? Sign me up! Which is just great. The boy's enthusiasm for dying is great. And then I believe the next line is something about what's cooler than that. And then they agree. Yeah. You you have it in your notes because I forgot to write this down. They agree that cooler than a super spy suicide tooth or whatever they just said uh, would be um, a cherry... Italian ice. <laughs> okay, a cherry, a, a cherry Italian ice tooth. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have to disagree. Lemon is obviously the better of those flavors, but. And then I forgive me. I don't think I've had Italian ice. Is that just like a snow cone? 
Kind um, of? Or like Hawaiian ice? Is uh, Hawaiian shaved ice I know is similar? It's not even shaved because you just buy it at the grocery store. Like okay. at least the one that I'm thinking of is I, th- I want to say it's Luigi's Italian ice and it's basically like sherbet. Okay. But it's like if it was shaved ice, but then they packed it all down together so that it's not like shaved anymore. But yeah, it comes in lemon and cherry. That sounds and they delightful. are classic and delicious. And if you had a in your tooth at all times, wouldn't that be great? That would, I just, I can feel the pain. I'm old enough and I have bad enough <laughs> teeth that just the cold sensitivity, it's killing me right now just thinking about it. I guess you have to have like an ice cube just <laughs> jammed up into your gums at all times. It would really yeah. suck. Uh, so the family now arrives at the science works area and we see the Baron beating and breaking helper because he hit him. The Baron then sees the family are there and orders that they be put into holding cells, which he is then told that they don't actually have any holding cells in Underland. And my guess is probably because they just execute everyone immediately and don't put anyone in the jail. So rather, ah. rather than uh, putting them in holding cells, he says to put them in the pantry. Yeah, see, I was thinking um, that they must be in some faraway place that no one ever makes it up to Underland, that they always go to whatever fights he has, or I don't know. So that was uh, I, my thought. I just I just saw it as he just kills everyone anyway, so that they would never have jails. I'm sure that that's true. As the family is being escorted away, the Baron then spots Dean, however, in his slave Leia outfit and says, mm-hmm. leave her with me. And here's where the problems begin. Boy, oh boy. Mm-hmm. You are not going to like the way that the rest of this episode played out for me. So this... Just from the get-go, I mean, obviously, it's classic. Star Wars is classic. Slave Leia costume is classic. Full of problems in and of itself. Referencing it, you know, whatever. It's a touchstone. Mm-hmm. Ugh, but just the, the threat of sexual assault is now the, like, linchpin of this plot. And I am not here for it because this is just women's lives that's just a person who is perceived to be a woman and therefore you know about to be taken advantage of and assaulted and abused and this is just yeah and and with that i want to bring up notes from the book yeah Uh, let's let's i want to hear all of it both jackson public and doc hammer had very poor things to say about this episode jackson public says that this was the first episode that he wrote for season two and it was he was still kind of in the mindset of season one with so many outside references in the show trying to be something that it had already evolved into being something else. Like he, he was saying how like the show by this point, like this far into season two was already something else, but this was a script he'd written before we got to these other episodes. So it was still kind of in the throes of season one and doesn't really fit here anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was disappointed in that. He also just says that um, while this episode was fun to write, it was greatly misguided. Doc Hammer uh, in this chapter or this section of the book only had one quote in here out of the whole thing. And it just says, quote, I don't think I can say anything about this episode. I hate it. I thought the whole homosexual thing was handled so fucking horribly. End quote. Yep. Agreed. He's, he's not liking this. And even Jackson public's like, yeah, I, this was bad. So they even they see even fans like don't like this episode it's not very popular due to these things that they did and uh yeah so just just know it's it's a bit of a nightmare while it is still fun star wars references it's also like a lot of like 
Yeah, but that's wrong to say that. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's so much wrong with it. It definitely like the homosexual stuff that they're about to get into, which that's only one of so many things. So yeah, let's uh, let's keep on keeping on then. Yeah. Hear what Jackson had yeah, to say. This was written by Jackson. Yeah. Uh, so uh, one more Star Wars reference before we get into the scene with Baron and Dean. As Brock, Rusty, and Hank are being led away down a hallway full of guards, we see a shorter guard, and we zoom up to see her face. Uh, as she pulls down her mask, uh, down off her face, we see it's girl Hitler. This is very reminiscent in the same shot from Return of the Jedi when we see that Lando Carissian is in hiding at Jabba's palace. He pulls oh, his sure. mask down to show us, hey, it's me, it's Lando, it's all cool. Okay, I do. I didn't get that in the moment, but I do recognize it now that you mention it. Yeah. Uh, so now we see uh, Baron kind of looking over Dean, inspecting him. Like he's someone who's like buying a horse. He's like, you know, oh, we're going to need to fatten you up a bit. And uh, saying that he's like, you know, softer and prettier than his other brides have been. And they do this kind of joke of, you know, once I fatten you up, once I fatten you up, you'll make a lovely dinner, dot, 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 guest. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wish it would have just been that he's a cannibal and he wants to eat Dean. I would have rather it been that than continue with the misogynistic, you know, way that it all ended up. Yeah. So we then uh, fade and it's me that he is saying, you know, be my dinner guest. And they're at this enormous dining table and they have these miniature little wolves on their plates. Like they look like full-size wolves. Did you see this? They're like... I thought this- it was... Like I thought they were rats. No, he, he says, "How are you enjoying your timber?" They did wolf? sure they sure didn't look like rats though, did they? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> then they did a gag of like, you know, how are you liking your timber wolves? What? I'll come down to you because they're so far apart. And then Baron drags his big chair down with a screeching on the floor, which I hate. I hate. Oh, that. I, I I had to mute it for that yeah. moment. So I hope there wasn't a joke in there because couldn't listen to it. No, the joke was that it's just like freaking nails across the board because he's dragging his chair. It surely was. Um, we see Dean is shackled to his chair and Dean wants to know where his family is. And Baron tells him they're all safe. They're all in the pantry. As I just told you, they're in the pantry. They're safe. Uh, Dean says he's not going to eat the Baron's food and get himself fattened up just so the Baron can eat him. Uh, Baron Underbite begins to laugh and says, I will have to tell Manservant that one, and he will have to laugh. (laughs) Uh, Baron explains that he doesn't want to eat Dean. He wants to make him the most second powerful person in Underland, which Dean gets kind of excited about. Oh, second most powerful. That's kind of cool. Until Baron explains that he's going to marry Dean tomorrow and make him his eighth wife. We then see the beheaded wives of Baron Underbite on plaques along the wall. I wrote that each of the faces is hideous and it looks like we're seeing their death screams in each face. Yeah, they all, yeah, they look like uh, they were not embalmed or whatever. Yeah. Like once they were dead either. And then there was a note about this from the book too that basically just that this is a a reference all to Henry VIII who executed all of his wives Mm. um, and, you know, did what he wanted to. He created the Church of England so he could get divorced, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I just finished watching The Crown, and I don't know anything about British anything except for what I just watched. But I do now semi-understand the thing with the Church of England and divorce and kings. Yeah, I I don't remember when. (laughs) I I think I learned that from Eddie Izzard's Dress to Kill is how I learned Mm. about uh, Mm -hmm. divorce and Henry VIII. 
that that comedy special is so informative. <laughs> I was just about to say that was a classic comedy special. I haven't watched it in many years, but I'm sure it it's my, still good. My brother had a copy of it on VHS that he got in somewhere, and we watched it. I'm probably twenty times. It was we loved it so much. It was just like we just put it on the background as we do dishes. Yeah, it was great. As we see each of the faces of his ex-wives, uh, the Baron says. They resisted it too first, but they came around as you will too. It's like I always say, hopelessness is the greatest aphrodisiac in Underland. Uh-huh. Which is disgusting. I, this shows you how disgusting Baron Underbite is without really showing on screen how disgusting he truly is. Yeah. Dean then looks at the chair he's sitting in and he sees a bunch of oh. claw marks and broken fingernails embedded in the arms of the chair. Which made mm. me just gag. I, I, I fingernail shit. It's oh. I also hate that. I was also eating nacho chips at the moment that oh, I saw no. that, so I legitimately gagged a little bit. Yeah, Dean screams and pushes <sighs> his chair back, landing on his back. And, and then, as he does this, the chair knocks all the fingernails loose, oh. and they all fall on his face oh. and his mouth. Again, I wrote my notes. I'm gonna throw up, and I've and I've seen this before. I forgot about it. <laughs> Which the Baron says to Dean, "I don't want you on your back this early, at least not until after the wedding." Which is again disgusting. Uh, yeah. Uh, we cut to the pantry where we see Brock trying to break down the door. Uh, Hank is still pretending he's Batman. He's looking at a potato and says to himself, "Better get this back down to the ca- bat." Better get this back to the Batcave and put it in the computer to analyze for prints. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be captured by an enemy, you might as well have like a mental break and decide that you're Batman. This yeah. Is uh, tactic as any. That was a note from the book I wanted to bring up. Uh, this is, it says, this was Jackson's first time taking a cue from Doc Hammer and doing this new idea of what Hank is, this gung-ho moment of action thoughts that he is Batman and that he has this kind of crazy strength because he's Batman. He just, he just thinks he is and therefore he is. Mm-hmm. While Hank is playing with his potato, an envelope is slid under the door. Uh, it says that the family is invited to the unholy wedding of Baron Underbite and your daughter, Dawn with an execution to follow. Brock and Rusty, of course, know right away that the Baron is confused and thinks that Dean is a girl, but Hank now thinks he has a sister named Dawn that he's never met. (laughs) Which, fair enough to him, a lot of weird shit goes down that he finds about too late, so I understand his confusion. I don't trust his dad either. Yeah, and then, of course, he's like, come on, Brock, you've been lying to me this whole time. And Brock tries to, like, Hank, I think you need to understand. He's like, no, you're right. A bear underbite's just trying to get us all angry towards each other. And that's just what he wants, Brock. All sound reasoning. He, he uh, got there. Yeah. Hank's in his own brain, and he, he's, as long as he understands, you know, something, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, but just then, one of the blocks that is the cell wall gets pushed in, and this uh, rebel in a black mask appears and... Uh, Hank sees the guy and says, look, it's the wallflower. We meet again. Uh, which apparently is some arch enemy that they had in some unseen adventure. Uh, which, to which Brock, oh, go to, ahead. To, before you even say the next line, which in that moment I was like, the wallflower. Like, and he pushes a block out of the wall. Like, that's a fucking lame <laughs> name. That's a lame thing to do. 
And yeah. then. And then, yeah, so Brock <laughs> says, oh, no, the wallflower had that stupid thing on his head, to which Rusty says, lamest villain ever. Which <laughs> is true. That would be even lamer than this, but this is still pretty lame. I just picture a guy with like a big daisy around his head is what yeah, I'm picturing. I was, I was picturing like a Pikmin, you know, that like Nintendo game, Pikmin? No. Pikmin. <laughs> it's very cute. Um, That's like a modern Nintendo game? Um, it was from, I want to say like 10 years ago-ish. I look up Nintendo Pikmin But in the right new now. Nintendo Land that just opened, um, there's little Pikmin hiding all around. They're like a little, um, they, they sort of look like a little teardrop people i can see they've got now, a little yeah. daisy on the top of their head yeah yeah i found them yeah totally oh now, it's yeah. a leaf yeah yeah but yeah when he said that thing in his head i just i just pictured a bunch of daisy petals and like his face is the center of the flower that'd be pretty cute too <laughs> but still very lame for an arch nemesis or a whatever yeah super villain i would yeah, say a very lame super villain if his power <laughs> is flower power uh, the masked man confirms it's Rusty. He's like, Rusty, you're here. There were rumors you were in Underland. And then he asks the family to follow them for a rescue, he says. It's a rescue yeah. mission. Yeah. Uh, we're now in the bedroom chamber of Barrett Underbite. And again, it looks exactly like the chamber that Darth Vader is in in Empire Strikes Back with the kind of ridges that like oh, open does up. does it? And we see him like, you know, getting his helmet put on. It's the exact same shell shape that like unlocks like this. It's that exact same shape and color. I... It's this big white room. Okay, I I wouldn't have recognized that, but okay, yeah, I see it now. Yeah, and uh, he is in like a little night nightshirt, I want to say, with his feet up in the air. He's on his chest with his head in his hands, and he's gossiping like a little eight, teenage girl to Manic Eight Ball, who we thought was dead, but is chained to the wall in the room, and he's kind of burnt up as if he was in an explosion, which he was. Yeah, which I forgot that we had met him until we see him again and then i was just like oh my god it's manic eight balls what a stupid yeah. <laughs> stupid funny um fake name or whatever just what? a, a creative character i would say yeah yeah uh, but he's asking the eight ball things like a little girl would ask a magic eight ball like am i gonna is this is he gonna be the one or is she is she gonna be the one is she gonna last longer than the others is something he asks which manic eight ball confirms and last, he, he, says, he asks him, will I have a boy? <laughs> like asking, am I going to have a son heir to the throne? Uh, but Manic Apel says, uh, as I see it, yes, you're going to have a boy. And we all know what that means is that he is going to marry a boy, but he doesn't know that yet. I am so glad you said that. I did not understand what that last question was. I thought I heard it. But it was not that. And that makes more sense than whatever I thought that I heard whenever I watched it. Yeah, because, again, you, you can't understand. I can't Baron understand. Nope. Yeah, but yeah. The last question, he says, will I have a boy? Like, will I have an heir? And yeah, he, that he says, does yep, make sense. You're, you're going to have a boy, all right. <laughs> the Baron then says, for helping him out, he's going to release Manic 8-Ball, uh, but only for one hour so he can come to the wedding. And then we see the Baron take a drink from a glass of water, and then he makes kind of a face and sticks his tongue out, and we'll learn later why he does this. Do we? We do, because of all the lame lame prank that the underground is doing, which we'll get into with the underground in a minute here. Uh, so uh, Brock, Hank, and Rusty emerge from the tunnel they've been crawling into to find the underground, is what they call themselves, because they're in Underland, and this is the 
underground. <laughs> it's so dumb. So dumb. They're being led by Cataclops, who we had met previously, and Girl Hitler, who we learn uh, none of these three people uh, were killed by the tiger bombs they had. Uh, and then, yeah, there's a note right. from the book in there again about that, uh, that uh, the impossible return of Girl Hitler, Cataclops, and Manic 8-Ball was just because Jackson liked these wacky characters and it let him play with the adventure show staple that nobody ever really dies. Mm-hmm. So that's why these guys are back in case you're like, how are they alive? Because he wanted them alive. I, yeah, I much like he's referencing the, the staple that no one ever dies. I just assumed, yeah, no one ever, ever dies. Yeah. Um, we then cut to Dean being pampered by two eunuchs who are unfortunately these very stereotypical homosexual men. And then again, there's that note from the book that they're like, this is a mistake. We really wish we hadn't done this. Me too. Me too. There is a tall one and a short one. The tall one is doing Hank, sorry, doing Dean's hair and criticizes it, criticizes it for it being like really like bad hair. He's like, what do you wash this in kerosene? But he doesn't know it's like a fake wig. Yeah, wigs are not great quality. No. And I mean, he, you can get some real hair wigs, but those are expensive. Yeah. Not for, not for Halloween. No, not, not for a costume party. Uh, and then the other guy is measuring Dean. He's going to be building him his, uh, his wedding gown. And he comments on how uh, Dean has the ass of a 12-year-old boy. And that the mm-hmm. Baron likes playing the back nine, according to his other wives, which... I guess means he likes ass play. Mm-hmm. I don't know yes, why that's that was, the thing. That was uh, my takeaway from this very uh, disturbing scene. The short eunuch leaves to go and make the wedding dress and Dean starts talking to the tall eunuch. Dean comments on how he doesn't have an accent like all the underland people. And the man explains that he is from Detroit. Mm-hmm. He, he wanted to travel to an exotic place for his junior year abroad, thinking it would be fun. And he says, and I was mad at somebody. So he, he, Which, he I, yeah, what? I didn't yeah. understand what that was supposed to mean. Cause then also the next bit where he was like, it's a weird long pause. And then Dean was like, oh, sorry, I didn't know. And so I, I, I take that as being like, he had recently broken up with someone mm-hmm. and to say, fuck you, I don't need you. I'm going to travel to a foreign country and I'm going to get all kinds of you know, all kinds of love from other people and not you who broke my heart. Um, I'm assuming that's what that's about as far as like, I was mad at somebody. And so I thought I'd do this crazy thing and go and live the world. But I got stuck here in fucking Underland. Ah, see, this was, I thought that it was like, yeah, I broke up with somebody. And so I decided to do something. um, Yeah, like crazy and go someplace exotic. But then I ended up being kidnapped and like enslaved and, and because i was a eunuch and forced into being a eunuch because i was like at a vulnerable position so it was just this whole scene is like i oh i don't know what you think you're doing i mean i think that you're not thinking about what kind of jokes you're trying to make. I think you're just trying to make jokes about obvious things that people used to laugh at because everybody just agreed that that would be an okay topics for jokes. But I, yeah, 
you know, it, it's like my, my girlfriend loves Friends. And now that we've got HBO Max, we're watching all of Friends again. But mm-hmm. so much of Friends is like, oh, I'm not gay. It's so much gay oh, panic it? in that show. So much gay panic between Joey and Chandler and Ross. And then, oh, Ro- Ross's, and then Ross's ex-wife is a lesbian. Every mm-hmm. time they say the word lesbian, huge laugh. Every fucking time. It's like, yeah, that's just a sexual classification that's not a joke it's not a yeah it's not a joke and it's certainly not the punchline of a joke the word yeah. lesbian um i mean it does sound it's got a lot of good funny sounds in it but it's not inherently a joke i i watched friends for some of the time that it was on and then i watched you know because it was has been on reruns forever and ever so i watched some of the reruns but i didn't watch the last few seasons me neither and i have no i've never had any inkling to go back because i don't remember liking it that much i just remember it was one of the things to watch yeah it was it was thursday night you, you watched exactly Seinfeld, right. you watched friends and you watched whatever other things they threw in there that i don't remember yeah except i was even too young to watch seinfeld so seinfeld was off by the time i even like really started watching tv for adults mm. yeah i suppose dean is now uh, with this uh, guy and they need to bathe Dean. Uh, so the eunuch then leads Dean into a large bath and says he needs to clean him up. He says, we want Holly go lightly, not Eliza Doolittle, which I thought was a fun thing to reference to uh, things that Audrey Hepburn portrayed. I did recognize both of those references. I don't know what that means. So, uh, so we want Holly go lightly, like the classy girl who parties all the time and is sexy and chic, mm-hmm. which is her character from, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm-hmm. What we don't want is Eliza Doolittle, the girl from My Fair Lady, who is covered in dirt and sells flowers and is a tra- gutter trash. Oh, I've never seen My Fair Lady. So that I only see the picture on the cover where she's like in a fancy dress. So I didn't realize she was a dirty person in that. That makes yeah. sense. I had never seen it either until this last year when my girlfriend, it's one of her absolute favorite movies, and she was upset that she could never find it on any streaming services. So she finally had to like break down and buy a Blu-ray of it, mm-hmm. get, get it sent to us, and we watched it. And it's fantastic. But yes, uh, it's the story of uh, Pygmalion where like two upper-crust guys meet a young woman who like has a foul mouth and talks you know, with a Cockney accent. Mm. One of the guys... like is a professor of like speech in English and is like, I bet you, sir, that I can turn her into a, a lady who speaks well in so much time. Oh, so okay. And so, yeah, okay. That's, yeah, I'd watch that. It's cute. It's cute. And uh, the play itself, Pygmalion is fantastic, mm-hmm. but then they elevate it by having it be a musical. So, mm-hmm. uh, so he gets him in the bath and Dean is of course, apprehensive to let a man undress him. But the uh, eunuch explains that he's fixed and that even if he wasn't, Dean has nothing that he would want because he thinks Dean is a girl. Only to undress Dean, see his penis, and then shout, rooster in the hen house! And they both begin screaming very high-pitched screams, to which the eunuch then says to Dean, you know, what's your excuse? I'm fixed, but why is your voice so high? <sighs> not great, not great, not great. Uh, we then cut to the underground and we see catacops explaining what they do as far as, you know, trying to bring down Underland. And what he is saying sounds impressive, but we can see that, like, the people who he's, you know, it's like a James Bond scene where, like, you see a bunch of ninjas, like, training in the background, mm-hmm. doing different things. Mm-hmm. You just see these people in the background practicing childish pranks. Mm-hmm. So one guy is practicing making phone calls. 
One guy is lighting a bag of poop on fire and leaving it behind a standalone door. Uh, one guy is taping a kick me sign to someone else's back and someone else is taking Polaroids of someone's butt. And I, is something in the guy's butt? I couldn't see. It's a toothbrush. Okay. So I, I thought it was like, hey, we took your toothbrush and stuck it up our butts. And here's proof. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't see what it was. I just saw he was taking pictures and I was like, maybe, so she's, maybe she saw what it was. Yeah. <laughs> your toothbrush has been up my butt. Yeah. Uh, Cataclops says that the only casualty they ever uh, occurred in this rebellion was one guy who tried in a solo mission to put Baron Underbite's hand in a bowl of warm water while he slept. Uh, of course, he got caught and killed immediately. Uh, Girl Hitler then comes out of another tunnel and says she successfully struck again, this time putting a cat hair in Baron Underbite's water glass. Mm, and they're mm-hmm. so excited that they are like, they're way too proud of themselves for this. And Brock's like, you guys call yourself a resistance movement? This is pathetic. Uh, yeah. And this is for reasons that are completely fine with the show, but just that whole scene reminded me of, I don't know, the last couple of years where all the people, and you might edit this out, all the people that came out of the Trump administration that were like, oh, we, we were trying, we were resisting in there. And it's like, no, you weren't. You were doing this. You were sticking a kick me sign on somebody's back. You are worthless and you're a piece of shit. And I hope your book doesn't make money. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we tried to impeach him the first time and it didn't hold, I'm like, God, fucking damn it. <laughs> yeah, but this this scene as a parody of the Trump administration lackeys who got out of there and claimed that they were part of the resistance, this is a perfect satire of that. I That's agree. how idiotic they seem. Yeah, you, you hear them just like, it's like, no, you fucking knew. You knew yeah. and you just let it happen. Yeah, John Bolton, James Comey, go to hell. While Brock calls their uh, resistance pathetic, they explain that they take what they can get. But now that the Venture family has come to rescue the resistance, they can all just escape Underland. And Rusty's like, wait, no, you helped us escape. One of the guys in the underground is like, well, no, 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 you came to rescue us. And if you didn't rescue us, then why did you bring the Batman and Chewbacca (laughs) Wookiee? I appreciate this next line that Brock has. I think he says, look like but really long he's like look so he like makes a wookie sound i didn't catch that that i i caught that one and i (laughs) give them props for that he said look we were at a costume party our jet crashed and now we need to storm the castle before baron marries doc's son and then Mm -hmm. dean goes not me oh he just finally gets it that it's not uh, long last sister Dawn, he, that Baron's going to marry Dean, thinking that he, he's a little girl. Yeah. I, I love that Hank just didn't fucking get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the resistance says that there's no way they can storm the castle. It's way too risky. So the family decides to leave without their help. Cataclops tries to stop them, but Brock <laughs> pulls the whiskers out of the face of Cataclops' little <laughs> eye, or cat face that is his eye, and he lets them pass as he's like, oh, that stings. <laughs> as I imagine I it, it would. Does. I like you know I've pulled little hairs of my mustache out and you do it like right underneath your nose it like oh yeah oh it stings it it makes you sneeze and shit yeah eyes water <laughs> now we are seeing that Dean is dressed for the wedding uh, with the uh, eunuchs once again and he looks just like Princess Leia from the original Star Wars with buns on the side and a you know beautiful white flowy dress with a kind of turtleneck that she's got. Which, it was either my junior or senior year of high school, I went as this version of Princess Leia for Halloween. 
Nice. I went trick-or-treating. I want to clarify. I did not go to a party. I was a 18-year-old going trick-or-treating dressed as Princess Leia, not ashamed of it at all. At least tell me you were with friends. I was with a friend. Okay. Singular. Yeah. Hey, that's, that's good enough. That's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if you're going solo, that's, that's so sad. <laughs> but you had a friend. So yay, it sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, did I ever uh, go trick-or-treating alone? I don't know if I did. I, I always had one of my, my little sister with me. So I, I was oh, lucky enough yeah. with that. So by the time I was done trick-or-treating, she was still going with her friends, which was good. Yeah. So yes, uh, he's there with the eunuchs, and the eunuchs confirm that they're not going to tell the Baron that he is indeed a boy. He says that they owe the Baron for taking their balls away. So they're going to also call some friends of theirs to help get the Baron back. And then I only put this together this time. This is the two of eunuchs call the underground to let them know that the Baron's going to marry a boy and not a girl, which is how they come up in the end and like come up and like save the day so i didn't catch that this for this until this time around that the eunuchs say we're going to call some of our friends meaning cataclops and girl hitler they're going to ha- let them know mm. that the baron's doing some shit that's not right i see the manservant has come to collect the baron and tell him it's time for the wedding and we get yet another empire strikes back reference to that darth vader chamber and this time rather than it being the uh little arms that oh, yes. attached darth, darth vader's helmet it's little arms attaching uh baron's um, wig, which is again his, uh, his his Pete Rose haircut from college. <laughs> it is that I was trying to figure out exactly what hairstyle it is. It is Pete Rose, which is very Darth Vader helmet. And then I anyway. I, I didn't remember that it was his, his haircut from college. They mentioned that in the book, and I was like, oh yeah, it's his Pete Rose haircut. Yeah, it sure is. He also has a gold plated jaw that he has attached for the wedding. Mm-hmm. And as he turns around, he is wearing uh, this white or tan outfit with like gold lapels and little ropes going across his chest. And if it didn't look familiar enough to you, they mentioned in the book that it is basically exactly the Disney Cinderella's Prince Charming outfit. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's definitely Prince Charming's uh, uniform. Yeah. I didn't. That's awesome. I'm glad you knew it. That's that's so cool. Well, it also, um, because I just finished watching all of the crown also, like it's just, it was a military uniform and it Mm. looked, uh, you know, like they're fancy whites. It's my friend Lisa's favorite show. I've yet to watch any of the seasons. I should probably do so. I was delightfully surprised. I had put it off because I didn't think that I would like it. Uh, I loved it. Uh, so my friend Lisa is a filmmaker and I always want to just tout her, but uh, have you watched the Netflix show Fate, the Winx Saga or whatever it's called? No. It was like It was like number one two weeks ago. It's uh, this fantasy tale Kind of like a Harry Potter's or like the magicians where like it's these kids who go to like a magic school. Mm. Really cool. Uh, but she directed the first two episodes. And oh, I was wow. so proud that something that she worked on was number one on Netflix for like a week. It was amazing. Wow, that is amazing. Way to go, Lisa. So, yeah, way to go, Lisa James Larson, my very good friend. She's my friend from Sweden who got me my first voiceover gig. Oh. Anyway, uh, where were we? <laughs> I I Pete Rose. I just wanted Pete Rose and Prince Charming. Praise my friend. Um, we then see a group of the Baron's guards uh, as uh, Hank and Brock are trying to, you know, find their way to the wedding. We they come across these like six or seven guys in a hallway. As we had previously discussed on another episode, these guys all have face masks, kind of like Shredder from Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. in which they have vertical slits. And then a callback to an earlier joke in this episode 
one of the guys says he can't stop putting his tongue in the slits and it's maddening. <laughs> it's maddening. Indeed. Uh, we see that Hank is observing these guards and he turns to Brock and gives him a bunch of like complicated hand gestures to which Brock is like, you have no idea what any of that means, do you? <laughs> I played softball. So all of those were hitting symbols for me. Did you recognize any of them? Like exactly? Oh, no. Okay. Uh, Brock then kind of looks around the corner himself and sees what they're up against. He tells Rusty to hang back because he's useless in a fight, but he gives Hank a pretty good pep talk here. He's like, follow my lead, remember your judo training, and just leave one of the guards alive so we can question him, okay? Uh, And then Brock uh, unscrews a light bulb above them to darken the hallway. And Rusty takes a cue from him and does the same, but of course, Rusty is a little wuss, and so the bulb burns his fingers because it's too hot. (laughs) He immediately drops the bulb, breaking it and ruins the element of surprise which would have been me that i every time i try to think that i'm big and bad and tough to replace a light bulb um that has burnt out as soon as i screw it in and it turns on it's too hot for my delicate lady fingers not now the led lights are a thing that's only oh. with old timey lights mm-hmm. my girlfriend does that with cooking like she'll just like dig her hand in like taste something and i'm like oh there's yeah. a spatula right there like are you are you burning your fingers right now she's like no i got tough fingers i do this all the time i'm like well that's tougher than me i can't do that no i i am a delicate flower around mm-hmm. the heat so to combat rusty ruining their element of surprise uh, brock uh, gets the bright idea to surprise the guards by throwing rusty at them <laughs> he knocks down two guards Fine and then we get me. this scene of brock awesomeness uh this one guard comes at brock with this kind of double-sided spear brock quickly kicks the spear up in the air it lands point down into the top of the guy's head (laughs) brock grabs the spear and quickly points it into the face of another guy who's charging at him and now he's got two dead bodies hanging off the end of this long spear which he begins twirling like a baton above his head with the two bodies there and he's like knocking the rest of the guards down with the bodies it's fantastic mm-hmm. comic gruesome violence at its best uh yeah it, just fantastic hank spots the one guard left alive and asks if this is the guy they need to question uh and he hank gets up in the guy's face who do you work for <laughs> <laughs> hank we already know that and it's like this. And then Brock begins to grab the guy's testicles and squeeze the shit out of them, saying, you know, where's the wedding being held? The guy actually resists for a while, like, you know, telling Brock that the pain he's receiving will be nothing compared to what the master will do to me. And then suddenly Brock stops what he's doing and kind of looks upset. And the guy is like, what? what what's wrong? <laughs> Brock takes a long pause and tells him he feels, I feel uh, a lump. This is a good bit. Yeah, this is something they, they comment on in, in the, the book notes. I'll get to that in a minute so I don't lose my place. But Brock tells the guy, uh, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I don't know what to tell you. It, 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 I, I, you should just go. <laughs> and the guy's like, yeah, I, I don't care anymore about the wedding. It's down the hallway to the right. Like, just, I need to go talk to my wife. Yep. <laughs> and then Hank, poor Hank. Uh, the guy walks past him and Hank then gives him a super wedgie into which Brock and Rusty go, Hank! He's like, well, I didn't get to do anything. Fair enough. He was still a bad guy. He deserved it. A little bit, but yeah, like I, I agree with Hank. He wanted to do something to help save the day and at least he's going to give that guy a wedgie. I think it's fine, Hank. 
we then get one more kind of sequence. I just love the music in this like little montage they give. It's really brief. It's just like pianos like plucking and strings like maybe some drums like I just loved it. I didn't notice. Uh, so in this little montage, we see Brock, Hank, and Rusty running along the hallways trying to find the wedding, while at the same time we're seeing the wedding ceremony actually happen. Uh, Dean is carrying a dead bouquet of flowers, and the ring that he is being given to by the Baron, the Baron takes it, first of all, off of a severed dead hand, Mm -hmm. and we see the ring itself is like this gold little, like, crown of thorns, almost. Mm -hmm. He peels it off of the dead finger and then jams it onto Hank's or Dean's finger, causing it to bleed. And of course, now, like, you know, it's like, well, you can't pull that off now because it's just embedded in your hand. Mm-hmm. Ugh, so gross. Again, it mm-hmm. made me just cringe. Yeah, this is very gross. As the music climaxes, we see a set of bars come crashing down on the hallway where Hank and Brock are. Uh, it separates Hank from Brock and Rusty. Brock tells Hank to wait, but Hank still believing he is. The bat is, the bat. Just, he's just ready to go. He's like, I was confused before, Brock, but now I'm groovy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to lock and load. And he even does like a kachink with the kind of spear he's carrying, <laughs> which Brock says, Hank, that's not a gun. <laughs> and then he's like, whatever, man, or something. He's like, what? I don't know. His, his reaction to that, I thought was perfect. Cause it's like, you know what? Let him have this one thing. Okay. You know what he means? Yeah. Well, before he runs off, he gives a kind of a rousing speech. Like, you know what? This is all going to be okay. He sure does. Yeah. Uh, but he's, he says, uh, you know, Brock, do you want to be that jerk's bodyguard? Excuse my French, that jerk's bodyguard. <laughs> and, uh, he goes to rusty too. And he, he, this is another like bad thing about homosexuality is that he says, apparently years ago, Rusty was trying to locate and destroy the gay gene. Mm -hmm. I suppose so we could just stop homosexuality from being a thing. Uh, He says, but you know, he was shut down by protesters and several hearings. And he says, if they hadn't been stopped, he sure my dad would have found it and prevented things like this from ever happening. Yeah. 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 This being the marriage of Baron to Dean, which, uh, yep, yeah, it's all just not good. Yep. It's all just not good. <laughs> yep this this isn't um this isn't gay. This isn't a the problem. Isn't gay? No, this it's is, not. Yeah, so many things, but I guess the, the only thing I can say I like about actually it actually isn't. Is the only thing I can say I like about this is that it's Hank being very enthusiastic about it being very misguided. Uh, just his enthusiasm for like, you know what, dad, you could have done it. Like he really shouldn't have done it. Hank, he shouldn't have done that at all. Yeah. He, he had the energy for a pep talk. It was just a pep talk for a nope, but don't, don't pep up that talk. Yeah. 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 So that's to me, the one funny thing is he's so like determined, but about the terrible wrong thing. Yeah. Uh, He then slides his Batman mask down on his face Brock begs him not to go. Please, Hank, it's suicide. Well, then I'll see you in heck. And he runs down the hallway screaming. Yep, and calling it heck as another good bit. Uh, after Hank leaves, we see Brock's lip is kind of quivering and he's like scared that Hank's going to die. To which Rusty says, calm down. I'll just make another one. <laughs> yep, what a dick. And then he says, well, who knows? Hank might surprise us. He does get that R-word strength when he gets all worked up. Ah, uh, yep. And then they just threw that cherry on 
rooftop for no reason. Yep. Yeah. And then I kind of realized, I was like, I've heard that t- reference used before, mm-hmm. you know, getting that R word strength. And then I really just think that all comes back to of mice and men. It's the only time I can ever think of like, there being like a slow witted so. person who's very strong and doesn't know their own strength. The only other thing I can think of is like baby Huey. Baby Huey. It's a cartoon. Oh, from Looney Tunes? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's Looney Tunes, but yeah, it's like this, it's this old like cartoon. Like a big chicken? It, it, he's a duck. He's like a, a duck. He's like a six foot tall duck who wears a baby bonnet and a diaper. Yeah. He's called baby Huey, but he, yeah, he's like a, he's like his little mother who loves him and takes care of him. And he's like, the big dumb child that belongs to this little lady. And I've seen that in other things too, like they have that in Carnival, they have that stereotype, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's, yeah, it's just, it's a thing. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it is a thing. I I do think that it uh, is probably referencing um, of mice and men a lot, but yeah, that is um, a good segue into one of the many problems that I have with this show, which is, because they are touching on so many incendiary things and saying so many problematic things that there could very well be a lot of productive and informative discussion about what stereotype are they talking about? Where did the stereotype come from? How did it get here? Like what is it that they think they're being funny about and why is it actually not funny? But I'm not that person. I, I don't know the answer to these things. I'm just a regular person with an overabundance of common sense and empathy. So I just, I don't know exactly why we ended up here. But I do know that I don't like any of it. Yeah. It's, it, again, they, they have come forward saying this is not their strongest hour, not their, not their best work. Which yeah. I'm so glad to hear that that's what their notes have agreed upon. Yeah, as opposed to like, trying to defend it. They're like, no, no, this was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we hear uh, Hank then, of course, after he's left and ran around the corner, we hear a big crashing sound. So immediately Rusty then goes for his suicide tooth, thinking that, well, our last chance, Hank, failed us. I'm going to fucking kill myself. Uh, but as uh, Brock is trying to get the tooth out of his mouth, one of the brick walls slides open and uh, Baron Underbite greets them both, saying, thank you for attending the wedding, but you're a little too late, as he and Dean are already married. Yep. Dean quickly says hi to Brock and Rusty and then asks Hank if he's okay. And we see what has happened to Hank as he's lying on the ground next to like the spear he was carrying. There's a little pool of blood near him and you think maybe he's like really hurt, but he just says, I cut my tongue on my mask. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good third call back there. The Baron then introduces uh, the eighth Baroness of Underland, but he realizes he doesn't actually know his bride's name. He says, uh, what is your name, by the way? It's Dean, Dean Venture. And then uh, Hank uh, pulls off Dean's wig and reveals that he is not a woman. And Hank says, uh, or Dean says, I'm not a woman. I'm a boy science adventurer like my father before me, which is another Star Wars reference. I'm a Jedi like my father before me. Just so many in this episode. Uh, And then suddenly, Cataclops and his underground enter the wedding chambers and arrest Baron Underbite, explaining that gay marriage is illegal in Underland, and so the Baron uh, is to be arrested for breaking his own laws. Uh, He then goes nuts and tries to attack Cataclops. 
Oh, it was you, the cat hair in my water glass. Yeah. And then uh, quickly Brock grabs that suicide tooth from Rusty, throws it into the forehead of Baron, which doesn't kill him, but just kind of knocks him out. I don't know how that works. Yeah, that is very fast acting. And But yeah, the science of that. If it was already in his mouth and then the drugs came out through the spiky parts of the tooth, then that means that the drugs would have always been coming out into Brock's head. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's the tooth. I... In this viewing, I was kind of like, maybe that's like a Davy and Goliath thing, like he, or David and mm. Goliath. Davy and Goliath. Davy is a, and Goliath. <laughs> Hi there, Davy. Uh, but no, uh, David and Goliath. The, the, but the all Cyclopses are like giant men. It's like you hit them in the solar plexus, it knocks them down. Is mm-hmm. you know, so maybe that was that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Let's go with that because the thing that I said before means that the other way doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Cataclops says, uh, you know, you mess with the cat, you get the claws. And then Girl Hitler says, and you mess with the girl, and you get the Hitler! <sighs> then Cataclops asks Girl Hitler to marry him. We yep. cut to Brock and the family, then exiting... I can't talk today. We cut to Brock and the family exiting Underland. Say that three times fast. Uh, in I the spot, <laughs> <laughs> it's in the spot where their jet crashed through the walls. Brock is still dressed as Chewbacca, and he has the now broken helper strapped to his back, just like Chewie and C three PO in Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Another reference. I did uh, see that one. He's greeted by the military, who then say, "Welcome to Michigan, Agent Samson." <laughs> so, <laughs> That's my favorite joke in this episode. <laughs> so somehow Underland is this country that is smaller than Delaware, they said. And mm-hmm. it's somehow located within the state of Michigan. Yes, I do like that joke. Because then the the eunuch person is from Detroit. And it's like, we well, just probably right there. Even. Yeah, like he didn't even travel very far. He, he went to an exact place. All right. It's just within his own state. Yeah, I do is, like that joke. Uh, so dumb, but so great. Uh, the underground thank Rusty for setting them free and they award him with the highest honor they can give to any outsider, which is a medal that says best group costume. Mm-hmm. And of course, at this point, Rusty does not care. <laughs> the one thing he wanted at the beginning at this point, he's like, I don't fucking care. Yeah. Uh, the underground inform him that they're going to create a democracy in Underland and they've already elected their first president. Who is it, Diana? Who is going to be ruling Underland? I don't remember. Is it Cat? Cat? Catface, Cataclops. What's his name? Uh, Cataclops. Cataclops, because it's Cyclops. Yeah. Uh, No, no, it's it's female Hitler, girl Hitler. It's girl Hitler, uh, to which uh, the boys go, a girl president? How progressive. And a Hitler. Think you're looking up. Yeah. And then we get a go team venture where the boys uh, raise their hands. And Dean's been, I guess, holding his dress up because he drops it. And we get a little Dean butt cheeks, which is cute. Uh, girl Hitler explains that they want to soften the image of Underland, so they're not going to kill Baron Underbite. Instead, they decided to banish him. And we see him walking out with kind of like a like a railroad tie, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. or the equivalent of, uh, on his shoulders. His arms are tied to it. Yeah, we see him w- walking away. The camera pulls out as Girl Hitler and his, their crew were like telling the family, come on back now, you're always welcome in Underland. And then we mm-hmm. cut to credits. I don't think we ever do go back to Underland, as far as I recall. So thank God we never see these people again. Thank God. Stay out of Michigan. We go to credits. We come back from credits. And then we see the Monarch's Cocoon, still parked in the Grand Canyon. And then the doorbell to the cocoon rings. I don't know how there's a door, but there is. 
The monarch goes to open it, and it's Baron Underbite, still as we left him with his arm still tied to the big piece of wood. And he says, uh, can I crash in your couch for a little while? Uh, I just got divorced. <laughs> to which we had the monarch just staring at him blankly as cr- crickets chirp, and the episode ends. Indeed. And that's all for the episode. I do have a few notes from the book we didn't get to, which there were very few things that this episode got right. The only thing that they agree, <laughs> they did get right, though, was... Uh, the joke about Michigan? <laughs> No, it was, was bringing out Hank's inner crazy in the form of the bat, which is something they come back mm. to many times in the future. H- Hank just kind of this gung-ho, let's go for it. I don't, I- I'm a character right now, so I have these special powers right now. No one can mm-hmm. harm me because I'm the bat, mm-hmm. which they, they bring back a lot of times. It's, it's fantastic. But that's really the only thing they like about this episode. Yeah. Yeah, that's, not, yeah, that's uh, a useful tool going forward. Um, and also sort of backwards because we've already saw that he was in a bat costume in a previous episode. But but he wasn't he wasn't the bat yet. Right. Yeah. So here's the thing, Justin. Go for it, Deanna. I we have to figure something out because I don't want to watch another episode of the show. But I would love to continue having a weekly conversation with you about something. But this show cannot be it oh no (laughs) oh no i think that this show is of a time for sure it's very dated and of the time that it was from and i think it was very much for the audience at that time but that audience wasn't me then and it's definitely not me now like all the references are like a little bit too old for me, like a couple years too old for me mm-hmm. and like too skewing towards, uh, you know, like James Bond and the Johnny Quest. Yes. And Johnny Quest and all of those things that I, I don't, I don't know what the references are. I don't know what they're, I don't know what they're supposed to be about. And, and because they keep, and obviously, as you and me and this book expound upon greatly, that this episode was a terrible example of them trying to like make jokes about all of these very sensitive topics or whatever. They do that a lot, and they do it poorly almost all of the time. It's not a bad show, but it's just... Not ah, a show for you. It's just not a show for me. It, I don't think that it is a bad show. And I do see why you would want to talk about it and talk about every episode. I don't know. I hope that you find somebody else who does like it so that you can talk about it because I see the value in like watching it even in this time, even if I think it's of a time and this is not that time. I do see how you could still appreciate it now looking back on it. There's important conversations to be had from this TV show, but I don't know how to have them. And I certainly can't just keep letting them all happen. So much transphobia, so much homophobia, so much, you know, like ableism, mental ableism, and just the misogyny. It's just, ugh. We shall have to find something else to... We'll figure something out. I, uh, we, we can do this. We can do this, but then this will kind of go with what I was going to say to our listeners. It's kind of a, a goodbye too, I suppose. As uh, it I, turns out. I wanted to say uh, before this came up that I wanted to thank all of our regular listeners of the podcast. We've got an average, according to my notes uh, from the uh, P 
people who we broadcast through about 40 listeners per week. Cool. Uh, which isn't, you know, massive numbers, but I was like, cool. 40 strangers that don't know, don't know listen to our show. Yeah. And, and you that's know, especially interesting, especially, you know, because we're in the middle of this pandemic right now as we're filming it. And we've been in it for almost a year now. So it's like to know that there are 40 sort of regular listeners every week. I had no idea because I only see my husband in real life every day. I don't even know if there's people in the world anymore. Yeah. So to have that sort of an audience that listens every week is is very nice. And yeah, but so sorry. We loved having you all. <laughs> Hopefully when we discover what we're going to do next, you guys will all come back uh, and follow us to this other adventure we're going to go on. I am going to look to see if I can find someone who might want to continue this journey with me. Yes, because I do think that specifically this show is an interesting show. I just think that you could have a better co-host. I would love to continue doing something with you. So we need to figure out what we're going to do. I will also try and figure out who I can do this with each week, but I'll, I'll figure something out. But yes, we shall figure out something to whether it be uh, you know a movie series or a television series. I think we'll find something we can agree on that we like to you know start to break down together. Yeah. All right. Well, I'd normally say tune in for next week's episode, but I, that may not be happening for a little while. So uh, I'll just say, go team venture. Go team venture. <laughs>